Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lion Face Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today we have our full table together for the whole time to continue our discussion on A Winter's Tale. If you live in Northwest Ohio and like to get involved in our organization, be it to act, direct, or anything else theater-related, please reach out to us at facebook.com slash lionfaceproductions. And now, on with the show. Did you want to talk about this play? I want to talk about this play. Cassie wants to talk about this play so badly that that she doesn't even want to have opening banner. I don't want to have opening banner because I missed the whole plot synopsis because I had tech week. I want to talk about this play. I have my copy. It's right here. She probably probably could have kept us on track with how the plot actually happens. Because I have to prove to you that Antigonus gets killed by the bear. He does get killed by the bear. That's what I said. And also his name is Antigonus. He exits stage up pursued by the bear. No, 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 no. And then for the land service to see how the bear tore out his shoulder bone, how he cried to me for help and said his name was Antigonus, a nobleman. So he, it doesn't definitively say that he died, but he did get his arm ripped off, and I don't feel like that's something you could fix very well when you were No, but it is something you can live through, i.e. Uh, Titus Andronicus. Well, they don't rip off her arm. They cut off her hands. And probably and cauterize, her, you know. Yeah. And this is a bear. He's not going to be... The bear, the bear is not over there with a campfire <laughs> heating up hot irons to cauterize the wound when he's done. He's like, he's not like, I just want to eat this arm. He's like, I'm going to eat this whole thing. He's like, I'm going to eat but part of But he did eat the now. whole thing, clearly. Because, I mean, and I know that Shakespeare allows people mortally wounded to have six hour long soliloquies yes, before they die. Yes, just ask Amelia. Just ask Amelia. But, ask uh, Desdemona. She was strangled to death and then talked. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. We'll get yeah. on with it. Die but, already. But can I talk about this play? Yes. All right, okay. fine. We will skip opening banter so you can talk about this play. Thank you. So You should introduce you... yourself before... I'm Cassie Greenlee, and I really like this play. And I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Beth Roars. I'm Chase Greenlee on production, and uh, you're listening to Shakespeare. Lion Face Productions people talk about Shakespeare. And this is episode eight. We're talking about now you can talk about the play. (laughs) All right, this play is so fucking weird, and I love it so much. Well, that's why the beers—that's why the beers tonight were identity crisis (laughs) and a little crazy, which is the understatement. That is perfect. Yeah, it's an understatement. And there's no one thing this play is about. No, it's about jealousy, but it's also like the first—the first three acts are about jealousy. This play. First three acts are okay. really So last year I taught a monologue class for Horizon Youth Theater. And uh, one of the segments of our monologue class was Shakespeare. And I had Paulina's monologue, um, What Studied Torment's Tyrant Hast for Me, one of the best monologues ever written in Shakespeare. Do you still remember it? I never got to perform it, sadly, which makes me very sad. Um, but I love it. And so one of my students actually did it, and they were talking about, I need context for this because we were, you know, doing character stuff. And I said, okay, sit down, children. I'm going to give you a plot synopsis for A Winter's Tale. And by the end of it, by the end of my synopsis, like, one of my students literally, like, walked out of the room and slammed the door because she was so angry. Which one? Narnia. (laughs) Yeah, no. That's but, seriously, okay. like I don't, I'm not surprised that anyone would just storm out of the room. No, but her name's so Narnia. Bizarre. This was too bizarre for her. Her parents. She have... probably listened. Be very careful. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's a beautiful name. Let me start with that, and I applaud it. But if your parents have named you Narnia, they are starting you reading science they, start, fiction and fantasy. You on a path. No, in she your life. she knows more about. C.S. Lewis than any other person I've ever met. So you're already indoctrinated into a weird world. Because yeah. C.S. Lewis, I mean, have you read A Horse and His Boy? A long time ago. Uh, yeah, Those are weird. some yeah. weird blades. Yeah, so I don't know why she wasn't into this, but okay. No, I, so, I get why <laughs> anyone is not into this. No, I, I get it too. But no, it's Trust so me, I, bizarre. I love it because it is weird as fuck. It's so bizarre. And, and what I love about it is that you have the first three acts, which are set up like a tragedy. Yep. And then 
you know, forget the argument of what is Aristotle talking about with his poetics, 24 hours or three days. We just skipped 16 years. We talked about that. Yeah. And then were, the last... Were you listening at the door waiting to come in when I was talking about Aristotle's poetics? And no. How this play does not in any way Beth, surmount Beth, it's me. Catharsis? I'm going to talk about Aristotle's poetics. Come there's on. no catharsis to this play either. No, there's not. But I just... it. I have such an affection for this, and I think it's because my first real introduction to this play... Um, was reading it in Stephanie Gearhart's Shakespeare class in preparation to see BGSU's production in 2010. And because BGSU's production was really my first introduction and Darren Kerr, who directed it, was an amazing fucking genius and fixed it. Well, Darren Kerr, he is yeah. an amazing genius. I have watched I him fix Brecht. Exactly. But he fixed this play and he made this play absolutely magical for me to sit through. I, I had the honor of directing Darren twice. He could fix anything. Yeah. He, it, was, it was hey. brilliant. And hey. all he did, all he did was add a scene, a silent scene before the action of the play ever starts, where he took the actors who play Hermione and Leontes and Mamelius, and he made them a family in the 1940s, this young boy with his nurse, who I believe was Paulina, Paulina was the handmaid of, of, of yeah, Hermione. Of Hermione, so that makes sense. And then his parents come in dressed to the nine to tuck him into bed. And you can sense the tension off of these two actors playing the parents. And there's this silent argument that happens and one of them storms out. And they get the mother, I think, stays and gets him tucked into bed. And then she follows the father. And this was performed in the Joey Brown Theater on BGSU. Mm, I love and, the Joey. I miss that theater. Yeah, me too. <laughs> And what Darren did is he had the he had Hermione and Leontes go to the green room, which is up a flight of stairs, but if you're loud enough, you can still be heard. And he had those two actors just start screaming at each other. They were far enough away that you could not hear what was being said. All you could hear were the loud, the angry, raised voices. Yeah. And you had the little boy on stage, played by Bob Walters, by the way. Of um, course it was played by Bob Walters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Going to sleep, listening to his parents screaming. And then the entire play becomes this dream that this child is having. And if this play is a dream that somebody is having, then everything bizarre is automatically explained because dreams are fucking weird. They don't have to make sense. You can jump ahead 16 years. It's true. It no, the, only, the, only problem, the only problem Rich is... Rich baby Mamili- makes sense then. The only problem is Mobilius dies. They brought him back in the end. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. so... And he woke up from the dream. He, yeah, he woke up from the dream and his... Well, it was unclear whether or not he was still dreaming and just dreaming of a happier because his parents were reunited and he came on after the statue came to life and they went off into, like, a big bright light. And it was ah, yes, the deuce machina of the <laughs> statue coming to life. Okay, can I... T- <laughs> I told Chase about this. I think I'm really funny. Um, <laughs> so because... <laughs> You are really funny. <laughs> because we're talking about this play on the heels of talking about Romeo and Juliet and Much Ado. Um, Much Ado. I Thank feel you. like there has to be a friar somewhere off stage in the wings of this play who was around for those two and goes, okay, so the pretend to be dead thing, it worked once and then it went horribly. So I need it to work this time. So pretend that you're dead. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I got it. I got it. I'm here. I'm with you. I got you. Here's what we're going to do. After another death, the friar goes, I'm done. Takes off his robes and goes, I'm going by my given name now. Call me Camilio. Actually, yes. I was going to say he's Autolycus. Who? Autolycus. Oh, Autolycus. No, Who? he goes to like a, a, life, Autolycus of, is, a life of crime. Yes. Because, yeah. He's uh, the uh, new... This is... Okay. No, yeah. Friar Autolycus. Because he's like... All right. Because Camilio, too known to Leontes already... And also runs off with Polyzenus. So, can't be Camilio. He can't be the new friar. So, okay. it's obviously Autolycus who shows up. I've been calling him Autoclysis. <laughs> well, I call the other dude Polixenes, so. Well, uh, we couldn't figure out necessarily exactly. It's P-O-L-I-X-E-N-E-S. That's how they pronounced it at the BGSU production, so that's always how I pronounce it. Well, if Darren said that's how to pronounce it, he's probably right. Okay. He's got multiple degrees. Yeah. But I just like imagining Hermione and Paulina like shut up in the room with the friar and she goes, this isn't working. Pretending to be dead isn't working. He's not repentant. Just hold on. Just keep doing it. Keep pretending to be dead. He's like, I'm going to set, we're going to set you up in a house a few blocks away. Not even a few blocks. <laughs> on the grounds. Can you hide? Do you think you could hide? Okay. Cassie, I'm glad to have 
she posed this question. Room. She posed this question when we were going through the Do plot. you know, or could you yourself or any woman that you know play the long con for 16 years to get one up on your jealous and wrong I, I have, in fact, met people that petty, yes. I can't they imagine could, that. They could go 16 years. Beth I said, couldn't make it 16 hours. I said two weeks. I said I could go two weeks. They both said I don't have that kind of patience. I'd give you a solid month. Ooh, yeah. longer than I would give myself. I'd give her 16 hours. You're just sucking up now. What do you need? No, I just, I love, I love this play. I have such a bizarre affection for this play. And well, I, it I is, think, a, it, well, it's a bizarre play. It's a bizarre play. And I, but I think that it, there is something that can be very magical about it. And this for me is the perfect play to talk about Shakespeare as literature versus Shakespeare as performance. And almost, almost the best way to play this particular well, play is to, you, you have to embrace the bizarre. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. So, talking about Shakespeare as literature and Shakespeare as performance, there's another thing that we always, that I always like to bring back, which is Shakespeare and the reality of the time. This mm-hmm. play very much reads as something that he was writing, and Richard Burbage is like, this won't sell to anybody. Fix it. He's like, fine. Bear eats everybody. <laughs> everybody comes back. This guy's that guy, that guy's this guy, this guy's going to be called Dorcas now, and everybody's going to be happy. What about that kid who died in the beginning? Fuck him. So, <laughs> no, it does, it there, does definitely is, feel that way, for sure. It feels as yeah. if he got halfway through writing another tragedy, and Richard Burbage came to him and was like, I cannot sell this. I'm tired of this maudlin <laughs> and the, shit. And that weird Scots guy who plays all the comedy parts is leaving. I can't remember his name. I can't remember off the top of my head, but yes, I know who you're talking about. He's going to go if you don't write him something funny. And he's like, all right, autoclysis. We'll write him. We'll throw him him in there, and he's hilarious. (laughs) He can snatch purses and show his butt and be all sorts of weird, because he's our fool. Um, Him him and not the clown. Clown. Clown is not the fool. Clown is... So another thing that's very prevalent during Restoration Theater is putting what they would call naturals on stage. Mm-hmm. So taking characters who are slow-witted, taking characters who are uh, a little dumb. Clown is a little dumb. I don't know that he's necessarily designed to be a natural on stage, but that's how right. he reads to me, is he is this character that every is bumbling. He's Lenny. Yeah, he's Lenny. He's somebody that everybody can laugh at. I don't think he's our fool because he doesn't do anything Until to further the plot. The, the only thing he does to further the plot is the bear. <laughs> Everybody should pet the bear. So the only the only thing he this does to further the plot is another for masturbation. It's, thank you. Let's see how many. Oh, polishing, the, polishing the statue is the one you missed. No, polishing <laughs> okay. the statue. Polishing the yeah. statue. She's there polishing the statue. But, yeah, but I, I, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of. Uh, I'm always looking for the fool. He's not the fool. But. He can't be the fool if you can't say his name right. Yes, he can. Autoclysis. (laughs) Autolycus. I I really do think he is. Because he furthers our plot a lot more. I mean, Clown's like, we should take Rich Baby with us. (laughs) Well, Rich Baby is obviously the key to everything. Yeah. If you have enough Rich Baby. Usually. But I feel like this play becomes less bizarre if you embrace it as a fairy tale. Yeah, if you because treat it, it is, if you treat it, it, it like the dream. Way. Yeah, like the dream and like like the fairy tale where weird things happen because it's a fairy tale and it's magic. Yeah, and, if you, and, it was, yeah like and I, I mean I'm referring to the dream like not yeah, in yeah. that you right, yeah. you're, the dream you brought up the way Darren directed I'm referring to the dream as in Midsummer. Um, yes, yes. If you treat this play with that farcical quality Mm-hmm. You can have a lot of fun with this script, yeah. and you can really like the like the first three acts, mm-hmm. well, two and a half acts are it's full. It's a full three acts. Well, the, what, the third act acts. is where Antigonus exhumes pursued by Bear, and yes. things start. That's where they find Rich Baby, and that's where the it takes a turn from being a play about jealousy and a tragedy, yeah, to becoming a play that is off the rails yeah. because it, it, it's totally believable that Shakespeare was writing it 
and was told, you gotta get rid of some of this sad sack, you know, like, bullshit. And write another comedy. Yeah, that's what it feels like. And he that got really halfway. Like. He was like, he's like, well, I got this half a tragic script over here. What if I bring this this chick back at the end, and we're gonna name this baby after 101 Dalmatians? <laughs> and <laughs> time traveling Shakespeare. And uh, there's gonna be Bruce Campbell is here as the King of Thieves. <laughs> Yeah, that works. I got this. <laughs> yeah, but there's just, some shepherds and a rich baby. Uh, it's it's weird, but I do love it. I like I legitimately oh, do yeah, love yeah. it. And, it's, and it's, there are things to love about it. It's reading the script and following through the script. Is it's like season two of the show where they change the writer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. Um. But you you can't you listen. This one literally is one you cannot read. You yeah, when you just read it straight on the play on the page, you finish it going, What the fuck just happened? Like what did I just read? But seeing it performed, seeing it's, it's, it this one that's is, what this one is purely in performance. Yeah. You have to see this one. And that's why this is the one I go to when I have that argument about Shakespeare's literature versus Shakespeare's performance. You have to see this performed and that's where the magic comes in. There are just certain, on the page it yeah. doesn't work. Right. Um I was trying to listen to this because mm-hmm. I, I I remembered loving it. I read it again, and I'm like, this, is, this isn't what I remembered. This is all jumbly. So I tried to listen to it, and it's you cannot just read it. You cannot just listen to it at all. I'm absolutely on board with you when this. It ha- this has yeah. to be performed. No, this, is, this is definitely a strong yeah. push towards Shakespeare performance. Of course, I am a huge proponent of proponent of Shakespeare. In performance. Oh, absolutely. Every play that you just read or just listen to, and even when we do our staged readings, there's always a disconnect mm-hmm. because they are, that's not how they are intended to be. At least, at Unless, least with a staged reading, yeah. you have action. Yeah. Yeah, and you can yeah. you can come up with it in your mind's eye. And and you can, it's you why can, adaptation you can create, is so you, important. You can create a picture. You can, you can see a picture. You have this actor next yeah. to this actor. You yeah, know, yeah. performing at least. So, so we've we've talked a lot about how this is a big old jumble and mm-hmm. a mess. So let's. It's break, a clusterfuck. Let's break it down a little bit. Can we talk about Leontes? Let's talk about Leontes. Oh, Leontes. So I think he's a giant tool bag. I agree, and and what was striking me as I was rereading this was there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between Leontes and Othello. Yes. With the jealousy of the husband towards the wife, well, but the like the I thing said, is, yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, the thing is. Othello, at least, had the excuse of having Iago whispering in his ear. Leontes comes up with this shit all by himself. Leontes, Leontes, oh, is, the, Leontes is the King Lear version of Othello. Mm-hmm. He wants to take a walk in the rain. Should, should we howl? <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm really excited for when we get to Lear, because that is... Yeah. When we talk about having... Mm. But again, with Leontes, you read it, and he's just, like... This well, he jumps. He's got to jump to conclusions, Matt. <laughs> he's got a huge one because sick office like, space reference. Yeah, he said like he's got conclusions on it, and he jumps to them. Yeah, and he does it constantly, and it's like bizarre. And what I find fascinating about it is he goes to his friends. He's like, I think my wife's cheating on me with Polixenes, and they're like, Are you crazy? No, she's not. What are you it's like? So he goes and consults the freaking Oracle of Delphi. Yeah, yeah exactly. Beth almost <laughs> forgot about the Oracle of Delphi when we were going through the yeah. plot synopsis. We had to bring it back. It's, it's so like, plot's going here, here, here. Nope. Stop all plot. We're going to leave Sicily. Go over to. Well, it's, it's funny thing yeah, is, we don't even stop the plot. It's like, hey, you, Jimmy, run on down to the Oracle of Delphi. Ask her what she thinks. And the Oracle's like, um. You're crazy. And Leon's like, no, I'm not. You and I just, clearly have oh been gosh. taking too many vapors, Delphi. Let's and, get back and to it. Like, yeah. there's no... The only way you can forgive him is the fact that he eventually repents, I guess. Well, he, so, he spent 16, he spent 16, years, 16 as, years in penance. Yeah, so re- is this, remorseful and sad. Is this... is Leontes, is he a reaction to Henry VIII? Is he a Quite reaction possibly. to yeah. this... Well, it depends. When, can... was, when was this uh, chase uh... to the Googles? Oh, it, this is one of his later plays. I know. I know it is. Uh, so well, we've been relying on Chase tonight to uh, the Googles? to the go to the Googles uh, for us. This play was... 1611. 1611. Okay. Yeah. So one of his later plays were past um, 
we're past we're into James. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. pretty solidly. We're well past Henry VIII. Henry VIII yeah. was never even a, I mean, Shakespeare was born past Henry Yeah, because VIII. Elizabeth was queen already. But, yes. But that's still very current in the nation's yeah. memory is this king. But what do you have taken like, what do you have taken so long to write a reaction to Henry VIII? He pulls from well, when was when did he write Henry VIII? Um, I don't know. Sixteen twenty three. Henry VIII came later when he wrote Henry. That's VIII. when the first folio was published. Yes. Right. He wrote Henry VIII before the first folio was published. Yeah. Sorry, but that's it, a yeah. stupid. That's a stupid date that sticks in my mind. But I think you can do a lot of. I think Genius. if you're directing this, if you're directing this play, you have to do something to make Leontes, if not sympathetic, at least understand his motivations. And again, going back to Darren Crow the genius. Um, when he cast this play, I don't know if you guys saw it when BJSU did it. I, was, I, yeah, I didn't see it. I am surprised I didn't see it. His casting Yeah, I don't know was, how I missed it. Because I was in a Stephanie Gearhart class probably the semester before. Um, but his his casting for the three, Leontes and Hermione and Polixenes. Leontes was played by Scott Sandville. Okay. Um, who's a very talented actor, but he's short. He's, oh, like, yeah. he's like five seven. Yeah. I, by the way, enjoy Scott Sandville. I enjoy Scott Sandville a lot. In case he's listening, which he's not. Yes, he's way gone by now. <laughs> um, Hermione was played by Lee Enric, who okay. is tall and willowy and gorgeous. Amazing. And Polixenes was played by Dylan Stretchberry, who might be the most beautiful human being I've ever met in my life. It's, oh, it's but I've watched him hump so many <laughs> inanimate objects. That is so he, true. He, the man sing. He invents, the man sings and he humps. He invents, he invents songs to sing to his dick while he humps things. He, but he, uh, no, he, don't but, get me wrong. This is but, a positive. Because yeah. <laughs> I love Dylan Stretchberry. And he's also among the most successful I was going to say, he yeah. will be the one of us who actually makes it yes. in uh, in some sort of theater, film, world. So well, when he, he's, he's a movie star, remember, a you heard of, his name which, here first. Which, he's been in a couple of um, college humor sketches. He's in uh, yeah. My Crazy X twice, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, also, like, he also did some sort of lifetime-y... Life, yeah. Oh, okay, he did a lifetime, and he did a um, what was it? He was in a, a commercial web series type deal. Yeah, he yeah. was in a web series, and he did a commercial for Credit Karma last year about their tax services. Yeah, but Tyler Ward's done a national commercial <laughs> too. So has he? Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. Don't worry, it'll it pops back up on my newsfeed. Okay. So next time it comes up, I'll. I'll post it again because it's pretty good because it's not his no, voice. That, that's, 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 <laughs> no, that's not that's not Tyler. That's the dude from Game of Thrones. The wizard. The wizard. <laughs> um, but anyway, if you look at the casting that way, like if you looked at that casting where they cast him. Well, no, and Dylan, Dylan yeah. is a, he's he's a beautiful gorgeous. man. He is a beautiful and man. And so looking at Lee Enric next to Dylan, so casting Hermione and Polixenes as two, you know, traditionally good, good beautiful, good-looking people. Good yeah, because Lee is, is also beautiful, yes. She's and old. then you have Leontes. If you cast him as a smaller man, you can play into the incorrectly named Napoleon complex. Yes, because Napoleon was, was not actually... He was of actually of above yeah. average height for the time he lived in. Shorter but that's... Well, yes, but 5'6 then was not the same as 5'6 now. Anyway, uh, but you can play into that, you know, and you can play on those insecurities of... Well, she looks great standing next to him, and he's touching her arm, and he wouldn't stay when I asked him to, but he stayed when she asked him to. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. So and is so, he jealous of her, or is he jealous of him? Because you it, could play it either way, honestly. Well, with Scott Sandville, you could definitely play it either way. And and then ca- casting Bob Walters as Mamilius, because Bob is also, I love him dearly, but he is small he's of stature. He's a tiny, tiny And he's kid. always been small of stature. Yep. And so Leontes has that whole speech he's about... What he was, I think I'm pretty sure Isn't he was a tiny Teddy. Oh, well, <laughs> he was he was uh, FDR in the most recent production of Newsies. At he was Teddy. High Teddy Roosevelt, not FDR. Okay, fair, fair enough. Teddy Roosevelt. But he's he's Bully. he's tiny Tim in perpetuity. Yeah, but Leontes has that whole speech about well, I know that Mamilius is mine because he looks like me, but this other baby that she's carrying could well be. It looks Polixenes' yeah, and baby. When, when it's brought out to him, he. Clearly like, denied. He's like, it doesn't look anything like me. Babies well, don't look like anybody. All babies look like Half baked loaf of bread and Winston Churchill smooshed together, making a every baby looks like dead Winston fish Churchill. mouth. Bop, 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 bop. Yeah, yeah. 
They didn't even know who Winston Churchill was then, but Shakespeare saw a baby and said, that looks like Winston Churchill. (laughs) Time-traveling Shakespeare. Yes. But, so, so I, I think Leontes is a fascinating character. And... That gives him way more depth than I gave him, which was, this guy is a complete jerk. No, he is, but... He can't see beyond his own... Like, he can't see beyond himself. And you can't even make the argument of if people would just talk to each other, because he does talk to Hermione and then disregards everything he that talks she says. To he talks to everybody. everybody. And everybody well, tells him. Well, except for Polyxenus, because he just says, Camilio, <laughs> go, go poison this dude. Because he'd been fucking my wife. <laughs> and Camilio's like, he's your best friend. You were just talking about what good friends you are. I'm not going to poison this dude. And so Camilio does the nice, the smart thing, and he... Warns Polixenus and yeah. they run off together. I'll, yes. I'll go poison him. Let me go kill him now. He does Wink. that. He does the Snow White Huntsman. Yeah, he does. He, 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 he goes, uh, yeah, I'll go kill him. Wink. And did then you, him and... I could see you <coughs> wink. Yeah, I said wink as well. Because they couldn't see me wink. Yeah, but the king, the king totally saw you wink. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He doesn't know what that means. <laughs> wink. Wink. I can yeah. still see you. But, uh, but yeah, yeah so Camilio and Polixenus, they run back to Bohemia. Yeah. And I just, yeah. Not to be confused with Bahamia. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Sorry. That one, yeah. not all of them are going to hit. I know. Sometimes they're going to fall a little flat. But yeah. So I, I think Leontes is fascinating. And then Paulina is my favorite character in this play. You like a good handmaiden. Yeah. yeah I like a good I mean, strong handmaiden who gets a good fuck you speech. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a running there's a running theme, Cassie, that I've noticed. <laughs> I've noticed the theme here, Polina, Amelia. Amelia. Oh, I know the theme too. It's the Elias. <laughs> <laughs> you like yes. the Elias? Yes. Well, um, her name is not Polilia. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> But no, she's got this, the great, like, Hermione has a great speech, too. Because Hermione gets to go in front of him. She's been thrown into prison. Well, she's pregnant. so upset because people are pronouncing Wingardium Leviosa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it took us a really long time. Look, I spent the whole first episode trying not to make a Harry Potter joke. The best we got is I know how to, I don't know how to pronounce any of these names, but I can pronounce Hermione. <laughs> Thanks, JK, and left at that, and we walked away from it. I'm proud of you. But like, now you're here. So we have to. I'm, it's sad Potter. that I made, I'm like, I'm the one who first made the full on Harry Potter joke. We were just like poking at it, poking at it. Yeah. But yeah, so she she comes up, she's like been thrown sad. in the dungeon. I should be the one doing that. <laughs> I know. She's been thrown in the dungeon, pregnant, with I, no explanation. Having been pregnant Get again. Get to a dungeon. <laughs> and and gets dragged in front of her husband, like, what's going on? And he says, you cheated on me with Plixenes. And she says, I, I really did not. I ain't never seen his dick. <laughs> and if you'd ever like me to cheat on you with you again, <laughs> you should If get you me. ever want me to see your dick again. You should get me out of the and, dungeon. Again, I'm so pregnant. She gives this big speech about, you know... He's like, defend yourself. She's like, you're obviously not going to listen to reason, so why am I going to waste my time? Instead, I'm going to... Like just, I'm not going to waste my time talking to you. I'm going to go hide in a shed for 16 years, <laughs> pretending to be a fucking statue Yeah, that nobody knows about. So I guess I'm just like sitting there. She's books. just a dead chick in a shed. And every once in a while she goes, can I you leave? You two of those. Every once in a while she goes, can I just leave this shed, please? And the friar goes, no, it's going to work this time. I am staying right here. <laughs> you are not messing this up. If somebody comes to try to drink poison near you, not going to let them. Fucking... Done with that. I am going to stay with... I'm not going to go even to the bathroom. But where's that rich baby at? Where's the rich baby at? Where's that rich baby at? So that must have been... Let's skip ahead to the rich baby. Okay. We've done done him. Let's talk a little bit about Perdita. We we talked about Leontes plenty. Because I like Perdita a lot. Yeah. Um, For your wayfish heroine, Mm -hmm. which she is, she is a rather... Well rounded wayfish. Well, she's heroine. she's a no nonsense. She oh, well, she's raised a shepherdess. She's like she's she, like her mom. She's like the uh, no. Yeah. Well, she <laughs> she's raised a shepherdess, so she yeah. she you know she, she doesn't have the royal trappings or anything mm-hmm. like well, that. Well, I mean, they were surrounding her, but the well, yes, because she's a rich baby. So I like the staging of empty stage, <coughs> baby in the middle. Surrounded by gold. This, an, another moment when I think back to how you have told me 
that uh, Mucinex was in bed alone. Mamilius. In bed alone. Yeah, she called him Mucinex. <laughs> all all in, through. In bed alone, mm-hmm. listening to the parents fight. Here is this baby. Again, abandoned because of this fight. Listening yeah. to Antigonus being eaten by a bear. Just surrounded by gold. Same as the fight. So the boy. The bear fought him into his mouth. The boy is surrounded by the trappings of wealth and affluence Mm -hmm. and cannot get what uh, what his sister will get with the shepherds. Yeah. Which will be a loving home. She is left alone, like he is, surrounded by the trappings of wealth, Mm -hmm. away from the parents again. So when I think about that extra staging that was put in there, it makes this already poignant scene even better. Yeah. Uh, and then stumbles in Shepherd and Idiot Boy and Rich Baby, let's take it. Why not? Sounds good. Let's take care of it. We can't just hey, take the money. Gotta take hey, the did you ever see a baby with that much money? <laughs> we should take this baby home. And then Clown started speaking. <laughs> Maybe we could take this baby home, right, Paul? Oh, per- Perdita. Enough. Enough. I'm trying to remember the casting from the BGS. Oh. Perdita was played by Nicole Navarre. Mm. Florizel was played by Jeff Sneed. Of course he was. Right? Bongo. So, <laughs> Jeff Sneed is everybody's prince? Apparently. Apparently. He was my twin brother. And if it's not Jeff Sneed, it was Scott Sandville. Like, if we need a prince, mm-hmm. there you go. Yeah. Um, the Shepherd and Time was played by Joe Conley. <laughs> And Atalicus was uh, Casey Tony. I'm cutting out. Okay, that's that's fun. I could yeah, I could definitely see in Casey my, Tony playing Atalicus. You know what? I remember this play going on because I remember Casey Tony walking around trying to concentrate long enough to memorize lines, and it was really like it, he was almost in tears at one point. Yeah. Um. He's gonna be more successful than the rest of us too. Yeah. He, he is. He's an. A, a, point at least a moderately successful podcaster so am i that's right <laughs> goddamn right you keep telling yourself that 12 of us are listening <laughs> including four yeah. people here um, in those rooms but yeah so I you but you you oh, I do. you go into acts four and five and all of a sudden you it's your typical pastoral pastoral romance. romance mistaken identities princes in disguise princesses in disguise because who kings the, in disguise who the fuck would imagine that a prince walking through a forest would happen to run into Orlando. a 16 year long gone <laughs> lost princess and fucking fell in love. lost princess like god who could fucking uh, Orlando ever right? imagine well, that, yes. that would ever the Monopoly brothers did it happen it happens all the time i know that's my point are it's the just, fairy tale aspect I, you know you had that hannah trapped you that way a <laughs> little bit a little bit <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's the fairy tale aspect but this is of this story. is why this is why uh identity, identity crisis, crisis. Yeah. yeah well because then you have perdita's identity crisis which she handles remarkably well a little too. Yeah. She's got a good. She's got a good head on her shoulders. But she she does. Especially she considering she was raised around a brother clown. But think about the the plot structure of this play. You've got the plot of what, Paul? Stop! Stop! <laughs> Stop. You've got the plot Stop. of Leontes suspects his wife, and that is a a fairly simple plot that takes three acts to expand upon and then you have the the resolution in act five but act but don't you wish so much happens in act four. act four push it into act three and added another like let's get rid of some of the shit that's going on in act one two and three smoosh it back i want more of this well i, I really wish that, there was a which is why probably richard burbage came to <laughs> shakespeare was like this yeah is a but, little droll but think about what happens in act four we have to introduce we have to introduce the prince. We have to introduce that they're in love and that they've got hidden identities. We've got to get Polixenes in there to figure out what's going on with his son. Well, the prince doesn't have a hidden identity at that point because he's... Yeah, he's told her who he is. He's not hiding the fact that he's fluoride the prince. She says something along the lines of her not being good enough for him. No, he's in disguise for a little bit. He's H2 Flow. Well, H2 Flow. 
No, that one doesn't work. No, he's going no, it does. by... No, it did earlier. He's four Yeah, you laughed at it last time. Yeah, yeah. So you can't tell it, me it's maybe, not funny maybe now. Maybe what I'm thinking of was when she... When he finally tells her, hey... For a I'm, little while, he is I'm in Prince, disguise, but then I think he does reveal himself. I'm Prince Floride. Yeah, yeah, but at some point, the is. king, Polixenes, disguises himself because he wants to find out what his he son is up Dorcas to. Dorcas and goes to the the shepherd's feast. Dorcas. And, and basically, I think the way the conversation goes is that Florida goes, yeah, I want to ask this girl to marry me, but I'm really upset about how my father's going to respond to it. And then he goes, no, I'm going to ask her to marry me. And then Polixenes reveals himself and goes, no, I'm really upset by this. So it's like exactly what he knew was well, going to happen. I told happen. you you were going to be upset. I know. And then Camilio. Isn't it nice this, that you know me Camilio so is the... He just wants me, to go back to Sicily. Let me help you get out of here, guy. Because first he's like, Polixenes, let me help you get out of here. And now he's like, I can go home. Fluoride. Pongo, let me help you get out of here. Pongo Perdita, come on. Let's yeah. go let's but go make some Dalmatians. We've got the potential for an entire five act show happening in one act of this play. Yes. Like and you could take act four and make it its entire own comedy over five absolutely acts. Absolutely could. And we could call it all well that ends well. Yes. Or yes, or you know, comedy of errors or yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is taking it's smashing a couple of his already pre established tropes. Had he run out by this time? I mean, this was written in 1611, so, I mean, we're getting closer to the end and of And I did look it up. Henry VIII was 1613, so okay. coming after. Okay. So maybe he was starting to think about it. Maybe he was starting to write it. It takes me years to write anything, and that's an email. So, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But I just, I, yeah. That's why I'm still getting correspondence from 1999 from Beth. We met in 2000. <laughs> But I, yeah, I think, I think there is such a wonderful gem of a story in this play. And oh no, definitely there, there, there are pieces and parts. Yeah. Of good plays. And, and they make a ridiculous play that can be good. Yes. It's it the good. worst Voltron. <laughs> it is. It's the Voltron where the yellow Voltron was like, no. I get to be the head today. Are you seriously no, insisting? I'm the girdle. <laughs> Ew, why, why do we get girdles? I don't know. I wanted to think of the Chase. most ridiculous part of a Voltron. And you went with girdle? I, am I wrong? Can you can think we, of a more well, ridiculous like, that's part like of a Voltron? I, I it's like the, it's like the blue the, Voltron going, I'm the garter belt today. I don't think they call Thanks, it a girdle. I mean, why wouldn't you call it a belt? I'll form the head. That's a thing that is actually said in Voltron. Just just as a comedy. Like, had you said crotch, you would have at least gotten the word crotch. But you said girdle? I I was going for highbrow. No. Okay. Just because William Shatner wore a girdle does not mean that we can bring it up all the time, Chase. Yes, it does. That actually is (laughs) Now you've made his point. Right. Okay, you're welcome, Chase. Thank you. Thank you. We can move on from this. No, the image. thing is, I'll form the head. And it's the yeah, the yellow, the yellow Voltron just insisting that he's going to be the head that time. But his Voltron still doesn't form a head. It forms the leg Which, that he's always formed. So, so this like mashed together Frankenstein of a plot uh, makes it hard to find um, like a through line meaning or a trope. But do we even need one? Do you need it to be more than what it is? Well, it's it's entertainment value. I mean, if, if nothing else, if if done properly, and you have you have to do it properly, you have to take care because otherwise, your audience is going to fall asleep and or fucking quit by intermission because you're going to get through the first half of the show. They'll start reading the and scene change synopsis, and that's intermission. You know, you get through the first three acts, mm-hmm. intermission. You've sold them a tragedy up to that point. The highlight at that point is a dude getting eaten by a bear. <laughs> Which technically That's what you're going into intermission with. That's how you no, So like that's, that's the only reason that's the only reason oh, the assholes are coming back after the break. The only reason people are coming back after the break is because the last thing they saw was a dude get eaten by a bear. Well, maybe that's why they chose to put the bear there. 
Awesome. That's it. That's awesome. exactly okay. There's my Shakespeare easier, put the bear. A lot easier hey, to get. Cassie, do you want to talk about the bear in VGSU's production? Oh, I'm getting to it. Okay, okay. let's go. Well, it is the greatest. Uh, as I said earlier and alluded to until we got to this point in the plot, it is the greatest stage direction in any work of literature. Yeah. Exude pursued by bear. Is the greatest stage direction that has ever been written. It's at it's least true. the most cult classic. Yeah, it's it's one of the most well known. I think it's just because it's so bizarre. Because up to that point, there hasn't been a bear. Why not? There's there's no bear before or after that. <laughs> so real bear, fake bear. Which did Darren Kerr choose? Okay, so let me talk about this because it was amazing. So little boy's dream. Okay. Um. You have Joe Connolly, who's playing Father Time, who's kind of like walking you through all the various steps and pieces of this. So, what they did for yes, the bear... Yes, the captain's exposition. Yes. What they did for the bear is you had Atolic... Not Atolicus. Antigonus. Antigonus on stage who was played by Patrick somebody. Was a grad... No. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> a grad student. Um, he's on stage and you hear the growling and you see this giant looming shadow of a bear coming from off stage. And he gets freaked out and he... Runs off, he and then you the hear, rich baby. yeah, he leaves the rich baby, and then you you hear this growling, and then Joe Connolly as Father Time comes on with a teddy bear, going, and gets about halfway across the stage, turns to the audience, and does a, what do you want from me, shrug, and walks off with the bear, and it was amazing. Okay, that is that is that is pretty awesome. It was fantastic. That is that is pretty awesome. Because I was sitting there through all of Act Three, going. Little boy's dream. How are we putting a bear on stage? I'm really excited to see where this goes. And the teddy bear was like everything that I wanted from that moment. And didn't know that I wanted. It was amazing. No, oh, yeah, that's that's a great way to do it if you're with that particular mm-hmm. staging. Um, it's a very specific type of staging. You if know, you're, and it works. Yeah, if you're in Shakespeare's time, you use an actual bear, which is probably what they. Did. Yeah, they probably had a and real a good, bear. Good reason to put that in intermission. Because then you can get the bear out of the theater. <laughs> yes. Also, also, but that's that's also going to get the groundlings being like, "Are right, they brought a bear in this bitch? <laughs> what are we going to see next? What, Paul? Stop it! <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, we aren't talking yeah. about raping by hilljacks. We're talking about. I didn't say anything about it. You, no. Well, that's just my Western Virginia noise. If you play dueling banjos, that's what we're talking about. But, yeah, so we we talked a little bit last time when we were talking about Romeo and Juliet about um, the prevalence of adaptation of certain plays over other plays. Right, this one doesn't have have very much. And so I think a lot of that has to do with... The only one I thought that I found wasn't even about this play. It was about something else. I think there's... Don't watch it. I think there's one that was filmed by the BBC that's, like, on Broadway HD streaming. I mean, I've got... So, I growing up, I had... I spent my allowance because I'm a huge nerd on this Royal Shakespeare mm-hmm. BBC where they filmed. And yeah. got all the VHS copies of it. Probably made you watch some of them when we were younger. That's possible. <clears throat> and I remember having... You made me watch History of the World Part 1. Which is terrible, or part two, or whatever. I don't know. It's garbage. Mel Brooks. It's fabulous. Not everything Mel Brooks does is fabulous. <laughs> anyway, what were you saying? No, we're just proving that Ryan can be wrong. That's okay. Okay. Um, so, I remember seeing just a video, like it's a videotape of it being on stage. Right. And that's it. That's all I've seen. I know that there are book adaptations. You've just told me of one. Yeah. I know that there's... Um, Fluorite and Perdita, they have one that's called Fluorite and Perdita. 101 Dalmatians. 101 Dalmatians, which is nowhere even close. I, I don't think it counts. But it's, Clearly it's, an adaptation. Corella de Villa's Leontes. But, but again, that's the story. That's the fairy tale story. And then that one X-Men guy is uh, three he's clown. Are just. Are just what, Paul? Oh, no. oh my gosh. The one, two, and three are just background that we can throw into, mm-hmm. like, um, flashbacks, things like that. Well, yeah, and, and this book, the, the YA novel called Exit Pursued by a Bear, it's by E.K. Johnston. And when I found out that it was going to be written, and it's a modernization of the story, I went, mm. huh, what, how, what? 
Um, okay. But I actually, I, I thought it was done in a very smart way because she took this play down to its metaphors. Okay. And that's what she really played on. And so Hermione and Leo and Paul, I think his name is, and Polly, who's her best friend, they're all cheerleaders um, at a high school. And they go to a cheerleading camp every year, and their school mascot is the bear, so they're the bears. And at this cheerleading camp, Hermione gets drugged and raped. And she's dating Leo, and he gets really upset when he finds out about it because he thinks she brought it on herself, that she was... What an asshole. Yeah, no, he absolutely is. Well, way to make an un- a barely redeemable character, which you gave a little reset of redemption there. Completely. Yeah, yeah that, that yeah, makes him completely yeah. unredeemable. So it, it takes away, it really does focus on the Hermione story. And it doesn't do the the so act spends, four in the middle. It spends sixteen years watching her sit in a shed back behind the no. gym room. No, they take away the you sixteen year jump. There but... is a book called Speak. Yes, which I yes. will say, and that's by Anderson, uh, Lori Hall Anderson, yeah. Lauren Halson. And that is very much about a woman or about a girl who was raped. And it is as if she's stuck in a shed and for that, a year because well, and, she cannot speak, she cannot get out. And that's so what, yeah. that is a really good metaphor that you didn't intend to make. Hey, but yeah, that's, right. But that's what this book does. That's where this book goes. So it plays a lot on the stone statue metaphor as she locks herself into a stone statue version of herself because it's the only way that she can move on from the trauma of what happened to her. And it takes, you follow these events through the play and eventually at the end, she is able to process what happened and to break free of that encasement that she had trapped herself into. And so that's how she took this, the author took the story and it really, really worked because I think if you're going to modernize this story and tell it, you have, you can't do a literal, I was really afraid that there was going to be like a faked death thing that to get away from all of the upsetting things that were happening to her she was going to like pretend well, to be no, like, if, if you're going if you're going to modernize it in that way and you're going to do the you like do the ridiculousness of it mm-hmm. you're basically you have to treat it as if you were doing the movie clue but with a winter's tale <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that i would watch i'd yeah. watch mm-hmm. that who does Tim Curry play at this point? Tim Curry, um, at that point, is Autolycus. Either way, we're going to mm. skip forward and make a run. Because Autolycus is the best character in the play. He's the Prince of Thieves. That's because secretly, you prefer the fool. No, that's because uh, I can't imagine anyone named Autolycus without thinking about Bruce Campbell. Sure. Because of Hercules' the Legendary Journeys and Xena okay. Warrior Princess, where he played... Autolycus, the Prince of Thieves. Right. So, literally, I cannot think of Autolycus without thinking of Bruce Campbell, and so, therefore, he is the best character in the entire show, because he's played by Bruce Campbell. But, yeah, so I think... Hermione is apparently Lucy Lawless, and uh, Antigonus is Kevin Sorbo. Until he gets eaten by a bear. (laughs) (laughs) But you were asking about if we need a through line, if we need... Do you need it? Do you need an actual through line? And, And I don't... I mean, I think as long as you have a, a moment of catharsis in some I think you can force a through line, but you shouldn't. But I think, I think if you look at this play in terms of its metaphors, it, is, it can be a play about identity, and it can be a play about forgiveness. And, so, and, okay, and so remorse, because it's, if you look at it as being... I will give you remorse. Leontes. I, no, I will give that to you. I'll give you, mm-hmm. I'll give you remorse. I don't think forgiveness, um, because I think there's only one act of forgiveness that happens. And that is Hermione. Right. That's fair. But there is a lot of remorse. There is. And there, specifically, and this is something that I wanted to come back to, uh, when we're talking about the boy. Mm-hmm. He is our only character who does not get a happy ending. There is no return for him. There is mm-hmm. no way of fixing what happened. There is no magic statue to bring him back. He's gone. So, if we're going to use... When we look at this being a comedy, and 
it's catharsis and tying up all the loose ends. He's a loose end that can't be tied. Yeah, up. he does not. Get no, tied it's, a, it's a black comedy. It's a you yeah. know when you deal with the fact that Mamilius well, still died of a broken heart no matter what. But we don't talk about him again, really. Yeah, they just he died. It happened. It's very sad. And we're not going to bring it up again in our big happy ending, but the audience is still aware. The audience is still aware that that happened, especially a more modern audience, where we're not used to babies dying all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, we weren't surprised by the bear. No, we weren't surprised by the bear. Nobody's surprised by the bear anymore. We all know the bear's coming. That's right. Why we see the show? It's all over when the wolves come out of the walls. No, but I think you're right. That's um, my new adaptation for this. We're going to write an adaptation called We All Know the Bear's Coming. I love it. Please do. We're going to come up with an adaptation. Lionface Productions does a collection of one-act plays written by local authors. Uh, we try to do it every year. So, Ryan, I really challenge you to get that one out there. We all know the bear's coming. We all know the bear's coming. Act accordingly. <laughs> but does the bear actually come by the end? That's what you have to decide. Oh, that's right. We all know he's coming. We oh. all know he's coming. Is it waiting for Godot with a bear? That's what it's going to be now. (laughs) (laughs) The bear is the tree. He's there the whole time. That is another play, like, when I read that in my 20s, I was like, yes! This is so deep! And then I read it in my 30s, and I'm like, what? a bunch of assholes by a tree. (laughs) I would rather read a David Mamet play. Or Chubles. Sam Beckett does that too. I would often rather read Mamet than a lot of people. Than Beckett? I'd rather read Eric Bogosian, even. Do you know that Samuel Beckett uh, gave Andre the Giant a ride to school every day in his truck? Yes, he did. I did not know that. Yes, he did. They were were neighbors in France. Did you know that we have two restaurants named after Samuel Beckett in our town that Samuel Beckett has never been to? (laughs) Well, no. We have Beckett's Uh and Sandy's. That is weird. <laughs> yeah. This is a weird town. <laughs> this is a weird town. Beckett's very good for burgers. Same I actually just ran into some friends that were at Beckett's having burgers tonight. Very good. Yeah. So, two. Sam B's catered our wedding. Nice. And neither of those organizations are sponsoring us to mention them in this podcast. It's, no, oh, it's no but we live in this no, town. But, but but seriously, if you're, bowling, food here. if you're in Bowling Green, Ohio and want a burger, Beckett's is pretty good. If you... How, oh, oh, also, two foxes. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, if, you, if you want, bad, pica- so. if you want the best pecan chicken, you can hit up Sam B's on brunch most Sundays, and they will have it there for you then. Pecan chicken will kill me. Then, literally, I'll die. Well, then don't eat it. Oh, yeah, don't have I will that. will literally die. You want me to eat some pecan chicken? So, you guys gave me that whole box of chocolates. My husband opens it up and goes, oh, there's two pieces in here with a walnut on them. Clearly, I need to eat those. Pop, pop, now you won't die. Saved you. Get out of my chocolate. Because <laughs> you did not write for the whole family on it this time. It's just a white box. It was all for me. Yeah, you saved your life, though. He did. He saved my life by eating those chocolates. I'm like, Duh. He likes to save my life by eating all of the good food that has nuts on it. I fucking hate nuts, so I just wouldn't have eaten them anyway. I'd have let you die. So, that, I mean, that kind of concludes this play for us. That it yeah. really is about... I... I that is a that's something I didn't come into this with. I came in thinking that this is really this is a play about jealousy and the resolution. Well, the the play but the play has an identity crisis. It does have an identity crisis. <laughs> yeah. But if we want to look for a theme to it, regret, regret, remorse, and I think remorse, we kind of yeah. have to look at it in many ways as Leontes' story, because he's the character who exhibits growth from the beginning to the end. It's true. He's everyone else is fairly static. Yeah, and and even I mean, you don't even get to know Pongo and Perdita until the second half well, of the you, show. You don't get to know Hermione very well. Because yeah, she is no, static. she dies and disappears. Yeah, well, and then Paulina chants a few words around her in Wicked. Well, then she's the Duce, Then she's the Duce Machina statue. Yeah, but if you look at this as being Leontes' story, even the the meandering that we take from it in act four is necessary to set up his you know final that moment of forgiveness from hermione because he he goes crazy he makes all these accusations he 
his We've son talked. his son dies his he kills his wife and his baby girl is probably dead bears bear who knows she's she's fucking but she was a rich girl she, she's rich. gone too far <laughs> And then he, but he realizes at the end of Act Three, he has that moment where he comes to and he goes, Thank "Oh, you. I screwed everything up, and I don't know why I did that." Well, okay. it's actually, as soon as as soon as as soon as Mamilius dies, and then Hermione dies, that's that's it is, what like he's yeah, then spends he literally he's like, "Shit," <laughs> and then spends the next sixteen years moping. But losing everything doesn't get you anywhere if there's no growth behind it. Yeah. And so one of the complaints I made at the beginning and oh at the end of the last one and when you came in talking about Aristotle, there's no catharsis. But when we look at it as remorse and as, as his story, mm-hmm. then we have catharsis to it. We yeah. have the he, beginning his moment catharsis. and the ending moment. Yes. His catharsis because he's he has spent all this time and the the he denounces his the, his daughter. He says, "This is no child of mine. Get rid of her." And the Oracle of Delphi actually says, you know, these people are blameless, you are completely in the wrong, and you're going to lose everything, and you're going to live a horrible, miserable life until you can find what you you have lost. And so when Perdita comes back, and he believes just instantly, no, you are my daughter, and he claims her. And that's when he kind of gets his life back on track. It's and that's really, finally when shit yeah. goes back to... Yeah. He claims so, his daughter. He mends fences with Polixenes. He allows Polixenes' son to marry his daughter. He gets himself an heir. He unites the kingdoms in that way. His wife back. comes back to life. He has paid for his mistakes. He has grown as a character. Well, where? How, how does she hide in a shed for <laughs> 16 years... Every woman I know hey, would have hey, stabbed him. Maybe she actually died. Maybe well, see, there actually, was actually a statue, and maybe it came to life. Well, that's actually one of the things that I've said. And in this play, no, in this play, that's believable. Yeah. In this play, it is believable that she died, and Polina spent 16 years painstakingly crafting but a they, statue. So that's why she's going to the shed two to three times a day? Yeah, because she's working on crafting she's working this on statue. statue. With a needle. Either, either way. Painstaking. She wants just, to be exact my, because that way, like, when she chants her words and she comes back to life. One of my favorite moments is when she goes, oh, you've welcomed your daughter back. You're feeling remorse. You've accepted, I have a present for you. Comes and takes and takes the, the cloth down off the statue and everybody's looking at the statue going, wow, you made her look exactly 16 years older than she was the last time I saw her. Like, She's so lifelike. Every time. <laughs> So lifelike. How did you age a statue? <laughs> so one of the reasons I love having you here is yeah. that you help me see things in a slightly different way. Because I hated that character. I thought he was a total throwaway douchebag. But he is our c- through line for yeah. catharsis. There is a lot of growth there. Because mm-hmm. I always liked Paulina. I liked Hermione. I liked Perdita. I thought that they were... Well-rounded, nice characters. There's not a whole lot to talk about feminism in this. This. Paulina's got a great speech. Hermione's got a great speech. And Perdita doesn't care about Florizel's Money, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, there's no great shining moments of... What studied torments tyrant test for me? Many. Many. I've studied many torments for you. Excellent. But, yeah, but... Leontes makes mistakes. They are disastrous. That is true of so many of Shakespeare's characters. Leontes is a terrible douchebag. But how many times do we actually see them come around? Exactly. But he gets the redemption. When he's forced to face his mistakes. Yes. He gets the redemption that we don't see for characters like Othello or Lear or Romeo. Romeo. They don't get to grow from the mistakes that they make. Lear has... Lear... No, Lear well, does. Lear... Lear yeah, has we'll get... We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get, to, get to that. But... But... but well, Leontes... Leontes is, is the baby of Lear and Othello. Yeah. And I think... I think that Leontes <laughs> is kind of what Othello could have grown into if he had not if killed had, himself. If he, well, if he had listened to anyone. Well, if he had listened to anyone... But yeah, again, what but again, Romeo and Juliet become if they actually stay together and don't die. Yeah. And Friar Italicus <laughs> is there to help them out. 
Stay in the shed. This is going to work. Just stay in the shed. Tell you what. I'm going to Bohemia. I'm going to rob your daughter's stepbrother for a while. What, Paul? With that... I think it's about time. I think we, I think we've I shall we think exit we, pursued we, by a bear? We should exit oh. pursued by <laughs> What was that? I don't know. There was some sort of like <laughs> Oh no it, because bear noises I, have now come into my podcasting life two days in a row. I I, I don't really know what happened there, but you just kinda looked like the bear became whatever this aw paw thing that is. <laughs> You made me, like, you made me quit. Like, I was like, I was like, we're talking, we're talking, then you made some weird-ass noise, and I was scared. You were behind me. I couldn't see you. I was just like you. Like, just I, like antagonists. I just, like, I like out of my periffs here, like, I'm catching Greenleaf. On that note, I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenlee, and I love this play. I'm Ryan Hathill. I'm Chase Greenlee. And we're all gonna exit Pursuit by a Bear. All right, say goodnight, John Boy. Goodnight, John Boy. <laughs> or what, Paul? Go for it. What, Paul? What, Paul? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what's going on. What, what Paul? Paul? Yeah, no, no. What, everybody. Paul? All right, no, okay. Erase those. We have to... Everyone is going to do a what? Everyone do a what? Because we're gonna going we're on. gonna use these.